welcome to the Seeds Church Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and on our Apple and Spotify podcasts. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message from our Sunday service. So church, here is the epic conclusion to the trilogy of sermons that I've been preaching. Actually sounds a little bit like a movie or something, and if today today was a movie, it would be called The Return of the Sun. In Luke 15, Jesus tells us three parables, all with a focus on lost, three things which that were lost, which are now found. And we're introduced to three different people who go searching for the lost. And so over the last three weeks, it's been a shepherd, a woman, and today is a father. And we're meant to hear really clearly, we're meant to hear that God goes searching for those who are lost, that, that are far away from his grace and protection. We're meant to see and to hear the heart of God for all of humanity, not just for all those who've got it together. So today we focus on what is probably the best known of Jesus' parables, the parable of the lost son, or often called the parable of the prodigal son. So well known, that term, that it's become common language to describe somebody in that turn of phrase. But this parable has much more than just a single son in it. In fact, there are three main characters in this, and it might be better to call it the parable of the heartbroken searching father, the lost son and the parable of the grumpy left behind son because it speaks to all of us as humans and there's something for us all to hear. Before we go too far or before I get too far into my sermon, I have several important announcements to make right at this moment because a few weeks ago I announced that Peter and Joe Morton were finishing up their paid employment at the end of this year and today I am delighted to announce that Peter... Peter Morton is taking up the full-time position of chaplain at Annesley Junior School, a school that he has served for a bit over five years and one that as a church we have a good, strong and caring relationship with. And so this is really great news for Peter and great news for Annesley. So we congratulate Peter and Annesley. Uh, Next week, uh, we actually have a family-style service And in that service, we will farewell Pete and Joe and their whole family uh, from paid employment, their paid employment roles here at Seeds. Which means we have new jobs being advertised. And so they are up on our website as of today. And they're advertised to start sometime in mid-January. And there are three particular jobs that we have. Let me just list them off. But if you're interested, go on our website. The first is a half-time or a 0.5 FTE children's director, someone who's to look after our whole children's programs. And then we have someone underneath them. So we have a 0.2 children's coordinator to work with and under the children's director. And then finally, we have a 0.4 excess coordinator to work with the excess director. All these positions will be advertised for the next couple of weeks and need to be applied for in writing to our business manager. They close 5pm, not 5.01, 5pm on the 14th of December. And I encourage you, if you know somebody, tap them on the shoulder. If you are somebody, have a think about it and pray about it and see if God's calling you to one of these three roles. As part of that, I'm delighted to announce that Matt Peters has been appointed to the role of Excess Director. And I'm sure the Excess Leadership and all its members will be delighted at that appointment. 
Matt has served our church faithfully and has done so for the last few years and is well equipped to take this role into the new future. And so if we were together as a congregation, rather than separate in our homes, we would applaud and carry on. And, but um, you'll have to, when you see Matt next, you'll have to slap him on the back in a COVID safe way, if that's possible. Which brings me to my last thing. The current South Australian government restrictions of four metre per square, uh, four metres per square. So you get it, what I'm talking about. <sighs> my notes. Um, it means that in this building, we can only have 100 people, particularly in the auditorium, which gives us a cap, and is a cap that is very difficult for us to work with. It takes around 40 or so people to make a service happen on a weekend when we include all the various aspects, which is complicated. Also added to that, I believe we should take a cautious approach at resuming our normal worship services. So, I believe it's wise and prudent at this very moment for the next little while to be online only. Now, I know that many of us were enjoying being back together and things had gained a sense of normality, but this is just the way it is at this moment and it's just for a period, so we'll deal with it and then we'll come back and resume in our normal style sooner rather than later. So just to be clear, for the next little while, we are online only. Now, you've already heard the Bible reading in a different way. So I'm going to ask if you could want to open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 15. And we're beginning at verse 11. And let me lead you in prayer. Lord, speak to us from your word. Let us hear the full fullness of what this means for this moment. And may we understand your word for us as we live our life. In your name we pray. Amen. Very quickly, when we start reading this parable, we introduce to the three main characters, the father and the two sons. It's important that we know the actions of all three. And so what I'm going to do is work through the actions of the three as I bring apart or pull apart this parable. And so we begin with a son who gets all the attention. And so my first point is, the prodigal son, of course. For some reason, he decides that he does not want to be a part of the family anymore. Well, at least he, he wants to do things in his own way and he wants to have some freedom. And of course, it's natural and indeed good for everyone to move away from their parents and find their own feet. For this young man, there are some cultural layers that we need to understand in order to get the fullness of the meaning to to hear what the original listeners would have noted. Now, it's interesting to see that the younger son's actions kicked off a whole series, a whole chain of events that affected the whole family structure. And the rest of the parable is explaining what happens. We, We don't know what happened prior to this story, but we do know that the son is really keen on breaking the shackles of the family and he decides to leave. It's probably okay to assume that this son is in his late teens as most Jewish men were married in their early 20s. So wanting to fund his new life and not being real flush for cash, the younger son decides to ask for his share of the family inheritance. And as it is at this moment, if you were to rock up to your living parents and ask for your inheritance, you would probably get a very funny look. It was uncommon then as it was uncommon now. So verse 12 says this. 
The younger, fun, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now we need to think a bit deeper about what was being said here. In asking for his inheritance, he was asking, let's be really clear, he was asking for a time when his father was dead. And my understanding is that this borders on the younger son saying something like this, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were gone. I wish you in the grave so that I could get on with my life in the way that I want to use the resources that are mine any way that I wish to use them. Now, I'm sure that this father is not the first parent to hear that. And the younger son is not the first child to say that. But it certainly looks like it's a total rejection of everything that the father stood for and the severing of all the family ties. The younger son says, I know what I want to do. I can live my own life. Thank you very much. I've had enough of this family. And as far as I'm concerned, apart from the resources, you're all dead to me. End of story. A Jewish law says that about a third of the property was his. And so his dad, you can imagine it, can't you? Probably heartbroken, his heart bleeding, assents to his son's request and hands over the resources. No malice from the father, no family squabbles, no ruckus, no fighting, just hands it over. Then in one verse, we find out a whole host of information. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. It doesn't take much imagination to think what the young man did with his family's inheritance. And like what happens when you drink from something without replenishing it, it soon runs out. And he found himself in quite a predicament. I remember seeing this cartoon or this depicted as a cartoon when I was a kid. It stands out in my mind quite vividly. The, the cartoon showed the young man with lots of friends all the time while he was at the bar shouting for the whole bar. And then when he'd used up all his funds, all his friends had gone. But it gets worse. A famine hits and to his absolute disgust, he can only get a job feeding pigs. For those of you who know a little bit about Jewish culture, it's about as low a job as you can get. And I tried to think of some examples. And here are the two that I came up with. It's like the ex-captain of the Crows cleaning the toilets for, well, you know, another team. Or it's like this, Nicholas Spurrier working in a kitchen in a particular pizza bar. Notice though the language here. The pigs were being fed, but he wasn't. The pigs were more valuable than what he was. He could go no further into destitution than death. And so here is an undeniable law of life. Hardship has a wonderful knack of bringing us to our senses. You get to say this really quickly, what is right and what is true for him, and the same is true for us when we have hardship and difficulty in our life as well. And realising that his father's servants were being treated better, he tucked his tail between his legs and he began the long journey home. 
And I wonder at this very moment, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, however you're listening to this, is that person you? Maybe you're the one who has turned your back on life and, and you found yourself at the bottom, at the end, at the lowest rung you could find. Is it time, is it time you turned yourself around and went back to the family that you know? Turning around implies and means repentance. It means admitting you were wrong and it means embracing another way. And right at this very moment, some of us listening to this need to do that. Here's my second point. Because the scene then switches to the father. And very quickly, we are left in no doubt as to the attitude of the father, who seeing the son has him arrested, thrown in jail and never to be seen again. Of course, that's probably what we would do. But that's not what the father does. Look at the second half of verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. It's a beautiful image. It's a powerful moment in a story that leaves a lasting impression on you if you ever pause to consider it. I find it confronting when we think about it. In the parable that Jesus tells the father, Jesus tells the father does not even let the son get out his prepared speech before he begins to give orders to the servants. His father is so overjoyed to his, that his son is home, he doesn't even let the son get out the conditions of his return home before he showers him with an embrace. No shower to wash him clean, but rather the shower of his love and kisses on the return of an unholy son. And all the son is able to say can be summed up in one very simple but powerful word. The word is sorry. Did you see what the father is doing even before the words were uttered from the son's mouth? The, verse, the first part of verse 20 has already told us, but while he was still a long way off talking about the prodigal son, his father saw him. The father was looking for his son. To me, it implies a longing on the father's part to be connected to his son, a deep desire that one day the son might come back on his own free will and that they would be together again and get past the hurt that had been caused. The, son is, the father is looking for the son, constantly searching the horizon to see where the son is. And when he comes back, that day the father is waiting and he throws a big party for that which was lost is now found. And like we've seen in the other two parables, God is portrayed here with skin on. This was not the understanding of God that was common to those that would have heard Jesus speak these parables. A shepherd does not leave 99 to find the one. A woman looking for a coin, a father embracing her son, a son who wanted him dead and who has prostituted himself feeding pigs. 
all three of them rejoicing in the return of that which was now, which was lost, but now is found. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a discerning member of our community who, who I've been in email dialogue with over this last week, who gave me a very helpful summary of these three parables. And it goes a little bit like this, which, which I'm gonna paraphrase what they said. The sheep knew it was lost, but couldn't find its way back. The coin didn't know it was lost or how to access home. And the son realised that he was lost and could find his way home. And here's the point. God has a response for each particular aspect of lostness, no matter the circumstances. When I realise the scope of God's work, it makes me warm and grateful for our God who reaches out, who searches and who welcomes and then throws an eternal party on our return. It's so good. Lastly, the the third person we encounter in this parable is the eldest son, and we encounter his reaction most of all, which is not quite the same as the father's. In fact, it's, it's opposite. Now, before we get too far down this road with the eldest son, there is a significant reason that Jesus is telling us about the eldest son. And more to the point, how he responds to the lost brother. At the very start of these three parables, and I reckon the reason Jesus told them was to think, to give all those who thought they had it all together something to chew over. Jesus was saying, you think you've got it all sewn up. You think you've got it all together. You've got, you think you've got it all worked out. Well, I've got a different view on your thoughts. The elder son is at the end of these three parables, I believe, to show what God thinks of those who look, at their, who look down at their noses at others. In this moment, Jesus makes a blunt point about judgmental attitudes, about who is eligible for God's grace and how God views all those who have a heart change, who want to turn around and say, sorry. Because you see, Jesus holds the doors open. So the eldest son hears the ruckus in the house, probably after a long day of working in the paddocks and finds out his answer that it's because his wayward brother is back and he's pretty ticked off. In fact, he's so mad, he's so full of rage, he refuses to go inside because he's, he's boiling over with all the emotions that are inside of him because of the feeling of unfairness. And that temper that he's displaying overrides his tiredness and his hunger, so he stays outside. Here he is all this time working on the family property and his good-for-nothing brother comes home and the red carpet is rolled out for him. I've got to tell you, I I have a lot of sympathy for the elder brother. In all honesty, um, I, I, I resonate with him well of the injustice that he feels that has been done to him at this moment. And I probably would make a very similar response. And I think if we were honest, many of us would too. I mean, you think about this for a moment. You're slaving away month after month, year after year, and all of a sudden, someone who has done nothing, in fact, someone who has harmed your family, detrimentally harmed your family, is welcomed back with a party? My friends, right here at this very moment, we run into a word that when we understand it, 
when we understand the depth of it, we'll change our world forever. It's a word called grace. And God has it in absolutely inexhaustible measures, in bucketfuls. And, and God splashes it around all over the place because He wants everybody to have some. God spills it to anybody who ever needs it. Grace means this, and it's simple. It means undeserved favour. You can see grace displayed to the older son in verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And you can see it displayed in verse 32. But we had to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours was dead and is alive, alive again and he was lost and is found. You can even see it in the gentle way the father handles his eldest son's complaints and reassures him of his inheritance. Notice he didn't fire up and blast him, but treats him with love, with compassion. It gives him grace. Grace is on display in all three of these parables and, and particularly here, grace is extended to the younger brother in vast quantities and also to the older one who thinks he's hard done by. The older son gets a measure of grace as well. I love how this, I love how the father uses this as an opportunity to state the eldest son inheritance that is undeniably his. I love also that Jesus ends the parable at that exact point because we don't know what the eldest son chooses. Did he recognise the significance of the event that was unfolding in his own home or did he walk away and did he reverse the roles that have been played out up until this point? I think Jesus is very clever and he leaves that ending open in that story for two reasons. One is, of course, to show the Father's heart for all who are lost. But importantly, for all those who already know the Father, who are already members of the household, who already have the inheritance, there are many, maybe you, exactly like that, listening to me at this very moment. I'm one of them too. Many of us are in the position of the elder brother and we are left with a choice, a very clear and a very plain choice that is put before us. We can stay outside and we can rail against what we think is unfairness of it all and we can sit in the seat of judgment or we can allow others to be the recipient of grace and we can join in with the party with what God's doing. In fact, the eldest son was invited inside to celebrate and to be there in the party, to welcome home and maybe be a part of others' coming hope as well. You know, over these last few weeks, I've communicated very clearly what I choose. I've told you now three times that those who are far away from God do matter. And I'm making it abundantly obvious what our church is choosing. And I'm going to be working hard to orient ourselves towards this. I'm resonating with the heart of Jesus. I'm feeling it. I'm sensing it as the calling on the life of our church. For many of us, we're going to have to wrestle with the normal feelings of the older brother. 
We've done all the work. We've been faithful. We've remained here. Yet the effort seems to go into others and we don't even get a mention. But that's not true. For we are the requ- we require grace as much as anybody else. We're not saved by our works or by our efforts. We are saved only by the mercy of our God. Sometimes many of us forget that we don't work our way into the kingdom. We don't earn our salvation. Rather, rather we receive our status before God as a gift, just like the prodigal son. We think we are the elder son. And in fact, so many of us are the prodigals. Our faithfulness is inspired by God's gratefulness. My friends, we have a great God who has blessed us in so many ways. My friends, we've been given this wonderful gift called the gospel, which is the summation of the good news of all that Jesus has done through his life and his death and his resurrection and the continuing power of the Holy Spirit amongst us. It is too good to hold to ourselves. We must share it with others. And at all cost, we must allow others to hear the good news about Jesus. There are so many prodigals. There are so many lost sheep. There are so many lost coins. There are so many who are far away from God. Will you join me as we seek to enable them to find their way home now and in the days to come? Let me lead you in prayer. Lord, we thank you for what you blessed us with. We thank you for the message of the good news that you've done inside of us, that we are recipients of your grace, that we have received mercy. And we pray out of that, may we, may we help others receive grace and mercy too. Inspire us as indeed you touched us in the most innermost parts of who we are. You transformed us and changed us. Enable us to be part of that as others find you too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Seeds Church podcast. We hope you join in with us next week. For more information, you can visit our website at seedschurch.org.